and welcome to this Meetings Today podcast. I'm Tyler Davidson, Vice President and Chief Content Director for Meetings Today. And joining us today is Joshua Grimes, the attorney at law with Grimes Law Offices, and really, uh, you know, probably one of the one or two foremost uh, meetings industry attorneys. Um, Thank you for joining us, Josh. Sure. Glad to be here, Tyler. And now I'll spend the next uh, 15 minutes trying to live up to that introduction. So thank you. Ah, All right. Um, Well, and I know I've worked with you for many years. And right as this whole um, COVID uh, pandemic was really kind of manifesting itself and we really knew how serious it was, um, I did a podcast with you and Tyra Hilliard, um, you know, one of the other big uh, meetings industry attorneys. A very popular podcast and really just sort of detailing everything that planners needed to know um, as far as uh, canceling meetings or postponing them. Um, Now we're sort of, um, you know, after a couple of months of really just a standstill and a shutdown, we're sort of waking up as an industry, starting to see signs of life and people are starting to book meetings again. What sort of legal issues should meeting planners and their organizations be aware of in this environment right now? Well, yeah, it it seems like when we did that podcast a few months ago, it seems like, you know, a world ago uh, in terms of what we've learned since then. And I and probably many of the people listening have really gotten an education about dealing with uncertainty, dealing with diseases and more importantly, how we're going to move forward now, which is really the the key because business is coming back. Uh, Some are doing virtual meetings, which is terrific, but uh, people like face-to-face contact and they they like seeing each other in person. So we're struggling for ways to to meet going forward. And, And I kind of put things in in two categories in terms of uh, legal issues with meetings. The first is how we can uh, do our contracts to be comfortable uh, in scheduling meetings during an uncertain future. And I say uncertain because, you know, depending on who you talk to, uh, some people think that we've beaten COVID. Some people think there's going to be another wave of COVID in a few months. Uh, We might have a vaccine in a few months. We really just don't know. So uh, the key is for people to plan their meetings, uh, considering all of the contingencies that they can consider so that if your meeting goes forward, it can be done safely for your attendees. And that really is the key to to make sure that meetings go forward safely. And the, the other thing is so that if a meeting can't go forward, that uh, regardless of whether you're a planner or a hotel or other supplier, that you don't unduly get damaged by having to pay cancellation damages or or something else. So um, really the first thing to to start with, and and I think it's good that we're kind of starting with smaller regional meetings first. We aren't hearing about a lot of big national meetings because that people can sort of get their feet wet and 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 trying things out as we move forward. Um, but uh, what you need to do in your contract is consider for planners what your meetings need to do so they can proceed safely 
uh, with ensuring the health of your attendees as much as possible. And then of course, hotels and venues need to adapt their facilities to better, to protect guests and, and also make sure they have the financial resources to do that. So what I suggest is creating kind of a new provision in your contract that we can call a COVID-19 provision. Mm -hmm. And this might be for a meeting contract for the next two years, because I'm hoping that we'll have a vaccine or some other cure for COVID uh, within two years. But if I were doing a meeting in that time frame, I would say that within a few months before the start of them, and I do a contract clause that says a few months before the start of the meeting, maybe three months, maybe six months, um, the hotel should give the group a list of changes to the hotel's facilities and services that are necessary or appropriate due to COVID. And that list should be updated as appropriate. So for instance, if you're in a place that has social distancing, so the group needs more meeting space, um, if, face, if, if networking events or open bars are prohibited, that would be a change to the facility, to the services and facilities. If the spa can't be open, that would be something. If a buffet isn't allowed or there's a particular way you need to be do food service, that's something the hotel should tell the group um, several months in advance so that the group can be prepared. Then the group has a decision to make. The group has to consider if these changes that the hotel is putting in place work for the group, in which case you can have conversations with the hotel about how they're going to work. But if they're not going to work, because for instance, suppose it's a meeting where it's essential that, that exhibitors network with, uh, with the attendees and there can't be networking, then the group should have options to cancel without liability. And, I, and I'm guessing uh, they need to spell that out in the contract and, and be able to identify that potential problem yes. and then spell it out in the contract, correct? Yes, because right now, right now we're kind of trying to do this, but without a contract clause that protects it. So, you know, look, many groups are saying, I have a meeting in a few months and it just doesn't make sense to have the meeting because, um, because we can't do networking or our attendees aren't comfortable. And then the hotels, and I don't necessarily blame the hotels because they need the, the business. The hotels are saying, but you can't just cancel for that. Right. Uh, because we're doing the best we can given the government rules. And so you have this tension and this clause is intended in some ways to uh, create a way to deal with that and possibly allow the, the group to cancel if the meeting just won't work. Um, and, and it's interesting because, you know, something like that is something that would have been considered just obvious in a meeting uh, six months ago that, um, you know, that we're going to have a, a place uh, for networking. So you would probably never even think to even put that in a contract. It's just right. expected in a public place. Right. And, and and, and, and it's important to note, this isn't sort of a be-all, end-all because for a group that's looking to cancel, because frankly, there are some some parts of the country where you essentially can do networking today. Uh, and I would argue, say that off the top of my head, Florida has been pretty lax in their rules at this point. And Las Vegas, although they want you to wear a mask, um, you know, from what I've seen since the casinos reopened, 
there's a lot of flexibility there as well. Um, so uh, in those cases, there wouldn't be strict rules, at least today, that the hotels would impose. But it, the point is the group should have to have an ability to know before they get there. Um, the the second part of this well and then just going back to that really quick i mean and it all you mentioned different states or jurisdictions how does that play into it i mean it's just a a a crazy quilt of regulations and some cases non-existent regulations i'm sort of gathering and i'm gonna i'm get i'm gonna get there okay i'll Uh, let you go no in this conversation but that's part of the issue because the federal government has not led on recommendations. I mean, the CDC has has issued um, has issued directives or recommendations is what they call them for safe meetings. But um, other parts of the federal government aren't particularly encouraging people to follow the CDC's um, recommendations. And uh, state governments aren't necessarily bound to the CDC. And local governments are allowed, in in local meaning some cities or counties are allowed to have different rules in the states. So, uh, for instance, in, in, um, in, I think it's in Texas just today, um, said that local governments can, uh, can have rules, I think, about mask wearing that might be different from other local governments in Texas. I'm, I'm hope I'm right that it was Texas because I'm, I just read about it before this. I know California today has made um, has made masks mandatory in many situations. That's just a few hours ago uh, from when we're recording this, but that's not uniform in other states. Mm-hmm. So it does depend on the locality. Um, so the second part, going back to this COVID contract clause. The second part of this is about health practices and safety practices. And you sure, your clause should require that the hotel should implement protocols and best practices to protect the health of the group attendees and staff in accordance with uh, the government, the various government rules and the hotel's own statement of safety practices they're going to put in place and best practices in the in the community where the hotel is located if those are different but this is this is where we can you, can you hear me okay yep yep i'm hearing you okay oh this is where we're talking about cleaning protocols uh testing hotel employees and guests as they come onto the property every every day right quarantining people for if they have symptoms excluding people not affiliated right. with the group meeting from areas that are reserved from group use. Now, why do I put that on the hotel? Because frankly, those aren't really things that anyone else can do. Yeah. Um, a group can't bring their own cleaning people in. So it, it's something that the hotel has to agree. Now, when I say before hotel protocols and practices, what I mean here is that many of the big hotel chains have come out with cleaning protocols that are going to protect people, uh, help prevent them from picking up COVID. Those are terrific as a start, but a group should look at those and make sure those are sufficient for the group's attendees. Uh, If the hotel's cleaning protocols don't include separating the group from other guests at the hotel, maybe you need to add to it. 
if the group feels they need more 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 strenuous cleaning you add to it um, in addition if local government recommendations are stronger than the hotel's practices i would recommend that for the that the duty of care requires that you do whatever the government suggests if it's more stringent than what the hotel plans to put in place on their own so it's important to do some research see what the hotel's doing see what's what people in the local community are doing and make sure it all makes sense for your group then put that in the contract yeah and um, I, I do know covering this that uh you know a lot of the the, the major chains all have extensive protocols and, and procedures in place right. but I'm, I'm sure you know there could be independent hotels that are not quite uh, as far along as them at this point right and and here's the other challenge that one challenge is having the protocols in place which is important although again they're not necessarily a be-all end-all some groups may want to have more stringent cleaning methods and and uh, in place and that's fair to negotiate into a contract it may there may be extra cost in fact i wouldn't be surprised if we see covid surcharges coming mm. to the meeting yeah. to hotels interesting i don't want to i don't want to put that suggestion in anyone's ear but i wouldn't be surprised should we edit that out of the, the podcast <laughs> well not necessarily although i want to get you know because i don't think it would be necessarily unreasonable for a new contract yeah to do that sure. but you know the other thing to be careful about uh, I, I as, a, as a lawyer, I'm naturally skeptical that venues are actually going to follow their own protocols. You know, I've seen all the videos that everyone else has seen of a guest now going into a hotel and there's the housekeeper, you know, cleaning things right in the public area. And they give the, the guest as they check in a fresh pen coming, you know, that's wrapped up when they when they come in and there's all sorts of things. But I can I don't know that there's a guarantee and this isn't a fault of any particular hotel, but I don't know that there's a guarantee that two months down the line, every cleaner at every property is going to faithfully do everything they're supposed to do on those voluminous uh, protocols. Mm -hmm. Some of those are 30, 40 pages long. For instance, just by way of example, one of the major casinos in Las Vegas issued in their protocols that they're going to clean the elevator buttons every hour. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's great. But I wonder if at four in the morning, three months from now, the buttons are going to be cleaned every hour. Yeah, Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But the point is, is that I, I don't, I believe that, you know, I wouldn't just, I don't think anyone intends to not follow it, but I think it's just nature of, of what happens. And how do you monitor uh, something like that? Or how does that enter? Well, does that uh, invalidate uh, the contract or, or, or how does that enter into everything? Well, I, I think the key is to hold the property's feet to the fire. And, and this is, everyone knows the term indemnification. Since you're paying the hotel for the accommodations, and this is the hotel's responsibility, I believe the hotel should indemnify the group for many claims or damages or judgments that arise, not necessarily if somebody gets COVID, but if they get it from the fit because of the failure of the hotel 
to fully comply with the safety protocols they've agreed to follow. Interesting. So if the hotel doesn't live up to the standard of care, then they should be responsible. And that may be somewhat controversial, but quite frankly, I don't think it ought to be because this is something, a responsibility that has to be on the property. And they want the business now too. So they might be a little more willing to to budge on some things they weren't before. Right. Now there's issues about how do you prove that someone got COVID at a particular property? And yeah, that's a legitimate thing. Although I suspect that more that if someone gets COVID at a meeting, more than one attendee is going yeah. to get it. Um, and there'll be ways to, to trace it. But again, I don't I don't think there's any other way to deal with it. Um, and I do think it's important. And planners, this may become part of what they do for their site visits. Um, review the review the hotel safety protocols and whatever else you've agreed to. And then a week before the meeting, go to the property and see if they're actually doing it. Right. Uh, and, and if not, bring it to someone's attention and remind them of what they're supposed to do, particularly if your safety measure that you've asked for may be different or more burdensome one than what the hotel does on its own mm-hmm. for your meeting. Um, so, so those are the kind of things that would go into, uh, that would be part of a COVID contract provision, the cleaning protocols, the right to cancel if um, government required measures that make it so restrictive your meeting can't go forward and um, the indemnification. So, the, so and, those are really the, the, the top line issues or are there, is there, are there any others that planners should be looking out uh, for right now? Yes. Take a look at your force majeure clause um, because this is, we've learned an incredible amount about force majeure in the last three months. Uh, and what have we learned uh, amongst the things we've learned? One is that force majeure is very, it looked at very narrowly. So if your clause doesn't include cancellation for diseases, you have words like disease, pandemic, things like that, then it probably, if it ever went to court, would not be upheld mm-hmm. because you specifically need to mention things like disease. Another thing I would look at is, does your clause say statute or law? Does it say government regulation? If it says things like that, it needs to be broader because some governments don't issue statutes for things like COVID. For instance, the CDC that people like to follow issues recommendations. Mm -hmm. So if you just say, if there's a government regulation that makes your meeting impossible or illegal or inadvisable, that doesn't work. So I recommend people use words like government advisories, recommendations, mandates, laws, statutes, and orders. And you also need to specify which governments, federal, state, local, foreign government, if you've got into international attendees, uh, that's something you need to look at very carefully. Another thing, and this is maybe the last thing I'll talk about with the, with the force majeure, the kind of things you need to put on, is when do we determine if a force majeure exists? And this has been a, a real weakness for the meeting industry or a point of contention. Um, many properties have argued that this decision should be made based on certainty on what conditions are going to be on the meeting date. 
So if you're meeting, if to, if we're we're taping this on June 18th, I think it's June 18th yeah. today. If your meeting is July 1st, we pretty much know what conditions are going to be anywhere on July 1st. But what if your meeting's in November? Right. And the challenge there is that many attendees make their plans to attend. They buy their airfare. They do other things months in advance. So groups want to cancel. If they need to cancel, they want to do it. Cancel maybe 90 days in advance. Maybe even if they have international attendees further mm-hmm. out. So your force majeure clause should allow a determination to be made um, maybe 90, 120 days in advance. So that would be something new in the force majeure clause. Very interesting. Uh, One other thing to mention with force majeure is you may want to think about alternatives to cancellation. So some groups right now have said, uh, if we're signing a contract today, if force majeure circumstances exist, the group can go forward with a reduced meeting with attrition wave, mm-hmm. or you can reschedule to new dates without paying any damages. So there may be other alternatives you may want to work into your clause. So in a nutshell, go ahead. Go ahead, please. Uh, well, no, in a nutshell, these are the things we're talking about. Yeah, and I, on that um, that note about attrition, I know that uh, I've been collecting a lot of information about uh, sort of what we call back to business offers from properties. And a lot of them, initially when I approached uh, a lot of these major properties um, to ask them, you know, hey, you uh, you wanna get business back? Are you uh, relaxing your attrition uh, penalties? Are you uh, are you relaxing your cancellation charges? I, it was year, I was hearing crickets, but now the floodgates are starting to open. And you're starting to see a lot of, uh, you know, no uh, cancellation penalty, no attrition through various dates. So they're uh, they're listening and, listening right now for that. Yeah, and I think that's smart because we're dealing with uncertainty. And look, when we started dealing with this in March, the hotels were bleeding revenue because everyone wanted to cancel. And I don't blame the hotels for wanting to see if they could collect cancellation damages, notwithstanding the situation. I I honestly think it, you know, I I can see why they needed to do that. But now that we're rebooking in a time of uncertainty, um, allowing uh, attrition to be waived gives a hotel a means of capturing some revenue when the meeting might otherwise be canceled it also allows a group to book even in an, with an uncertain future. So it um, so it's kind of a win-win in a in a lousy situation for for both sides in a negotiation. Yeah. And um, before we uh, end the podcast today, um, we were talking earlier before we started recording about uh, you know you have some clients that you're working with now that um, are even adjusting. Um, their programs, you know, through the end of the year, uh, you know, where on uh, June 18th, 2020 right now, where do you see things uh, stand? Um, and, uh, you know, what, what are you hearing out there about why people may need to cancel or postpone still? Well, the, the, the re yes. Um, I'm dealing with a number of meetings now that are, uh, really any time between now and the end of the year. And some of them are in November and the groups want to cancel. 
And the hotels understandably are saying it's too early, but here's where the tension arises. These groups, you know, everyone listening to this knows you don't just plan a meeting the day before the meeting starts. You have to plan the meeting months in advance. And uh, this is the group is incurring expenses, which frankly, for most groups right now, they don't have the kind of money to just throw away uh, at this point if the meeting if the meeting's canceled. Um, and so the groups want to plan and they see that people aren't registering for for their meetings. Uh, they're not making the plane reservations because they're not sure about flying independently of whether the meeting's going to happen. So the groups have a good sense now that they don't want to move forward. So they're having these conversations. Some properties have been have been very flexible and have uh, agreed to let them cancel now. Uh, others have not agreed to let them cancel, in which case the group has either had to unilaterally declare the force majeure of the occurrence, which they're allowed to do under the contracts, um, and they, then they hope that the hotel doesn't fight them later on, or they're discussing moving their meetings maybe the first quarter next year, uh, or even second quarter next year, which uh, again helps the hotel keep some of the business. If So I think any of those are good, Any any negotiated outcome is a good one where people agree. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the group has to do what they have to do if they think people just aren't going to come and then cancel and then we'll, um, you know, we'll, we can discuss damages or, or any other sort of remedies to the extent they might apply later on. Um, although I don't know in most cases if there would be any damages because I think it legitimately could be a force majeure. What I would just suggest to people is if you're rescheduling meetings two, uh, for a later time, two things to think about. One is deposits. Um, we're, in an a, we're in a time when business is not good for properties. And if you're rescheduling for more than a few months out, uh, I wonder if you want to, um, if it's good to have the hotel keep the deposits because some of the hotels may be in a precarious position right. and it might be better right. to push back deposit payments. We hope that this is just me being overly cautious, but the reality is, is that we're, we're likely to see some properties close. Yeah. One other thing if you uh, to be careful about, if you renegotiate and sign an addendum because you've pushed your meeting back to new dates, please, 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 planners, be careful to state in your addendum uh, or your contract amendment that COVID-19 is still a valid force majeure reason should it still be relevant on your rescheduled date. What I mean there is that force majeure is supposed to be an unanticipated, unforeseeable occurrence. And if you do an amendment to a contract today, when we know about COVID, Arguably, COVID may not be a valid force majeure reason if it's still around on your rescheduled date. Mm -hmm. So it's important to reserve those rights if we're still having uh, a bad COVID situation on your rescheduled date. So you still have alternatives. Yeah, I mean, do you, sorry about that. Do you I think at some point uh, some people will be tempted to kind of wave a magic wand and say, oh, the COVID period is over? And in fact, there are some leaders in the meetings industry 
who are doing their best to let us know that we're back to business as usual. Yeah. And, and I think everybody is entitled to their viewpoint, sure. but I think that planners and hoteliers and other people in the industry need to do what's best for them and make their own judgments it, that will protect your organization. And I, and I look at it too, even with these major meetings industry associations, when they were contemplating whether to go on with their big annual events, uh, you know, that is a risk that I think you have to be conservative about because if you had a big event uh, and all these people got sick, that's the end of you. I mean, that's the end of your, your association. Uh, you know, I don't yes. think you recover from something like that. So. Yeah. Hence there's, there's nothing wrong with planning, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't make sense for your meeting to go forward because your attendees aren't going to show up, you ought to have rights to, if, because of COVID, yeah. you ought to have rights to cancel without paying damages. And that is the way it ought to come. And out. then one quick thing before we go, um, and I really appreciate uh, I could talk to you all day about this stuff, but um, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, being an, an attorney, you're getting uh, business in both directions. You're getting uh, business when uh, meetings have to cancel, but you also must be getting a lot of business when organizations say, well, we're ready to start meeting again and planning meetings. What do we need to do? Um, you would be the best person almost of anyone to ask. Uh, are you seeing more people coming to you and, and inquiring about them wanting to uh, resume face-to-face -face meetings again? Yes because uh, people are concerned about what they need to put in their contracts to protect them moving forward. I, I might also add that I'm seeing the same with virtual meetings, uh, with hybrid meetings. There are legal issues with those that have, um, that have, have people ask me about a lot. Um, look, there's always something in this industry. I've been doing this long enough so there's been, you know, SARS, avian flu, H1N1, um, terrorism, everything else. There's always something. We need to just keep updating our contracts and, um, and then negotiating the best contracts with the other side as we can. And it keeps people like me in business. You know, what can I say? And, also on the podcast. You got it. Me too. And, uh, but you, yeah. and so you are say, seeing people kind of, uh, you know, getting interested and thinking we got to start meeting face to face again. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no substitute. Look, you know, everybody has done Zoom meetings and, and, and things like that. And they certainly serve a purpose. Uh, but there's no substitute for, for contact. It's hard to form relationships yeah. with people for business over Zoom. So I, I think I think people are itching to get back out there. Uh, I happen to think that the industry will recover a bit sooner than some people are thinking, although it's going to have to recover in a safe manner because, again, you know, people can have 30-page safety and health protocols that they're going to implement at hotels, and we can tell people how great it is to fly when the plane is half full. But if your attendees don't feel safe or until they feel safe, they're not going to show up. And that's the bottom line. Well, great. well, we'll end it on that then. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate your time as always. No, but always a pleasure, Tyler. And thank you for listening to this Meetings Today podcast. 
you are interested in more of our podcast, please head on over to meetingstoday.com and check out our podcast section where we have a variety of podcasts on all the myriad subjects that impact the meetings and hospitality industry. I'm Tyler Davidson, Vice President and Chief Contact Director for Meetings Today. Thank you for joining us and have a great rest of the day. 